This is a Ward Scott Files advisory. The Ward Scott Files podcast may contain material not suited for people who are easily offended. Trust us on this. This show contains adult information and opinions. Please protect small children, sensitive pets, fragile houseplants, and liberal relatives. Thank you. Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! Good morning, good morning. Professor Ward Scott here in the manly Warthog Man Cave inside the Mellon Law Studio, protected by crime prevention. And so far, we haven't had to turn on the heaters and get the igloo warmed up here because we're expecting, as you'll hear at the bottom of the hour, a um, little cold blast, the Arctic air to come through here. I'll be covering that on the Lewis Oil weather. But we've already talking about, we're already talking about it. And, of course, I've got my good friend Ted Yoho here co-hosting with me on Wednesday, who is a veteran, veterinarian. I, I don't know if that's redundant, but um, we were just talking about cattle and um, the cattle here will be kind of chilly, but they're, they've, they've seen nothing like they'll see in Colorado. Boy, I'm telling you, that is, uh, that is rough on the uh, outdoor world. Buffalo can take it. I've been in uh, Yellowstone National Park on a snowmobile when it's been 20 below, and the buffalo just seem to thrive on it. It's amazing. <laughs> so I've been there and seen them right there up close, too close, as a matter of fact. Well, we're here today to take any kind of chat questions you've got. I see people checking on. Good morning. Ryan Cox out in Mississippi. Uh, good friend, Matt Cannon. Uh, Ken Hill, you're up in Atlanta. Uh, Ken, you're getting ready to really get chilly there in Atlanta, my man. If you're not already, we're just talking about it. Ted and I were talking about it before we went live on the air. So uh, y'all bundle up. It's going to be one of those things. Now, I've been getting questions. Um, Ted, does it kill mosquitoes? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> they seem to come right back out. <laughs> They sure do. You get one warm day up in the 60s and they're back out. They're right back out, man. So Ted Yoho with us today. And um, we always look forward to Wednesdays. He's gotten a really, really good habit because Ted brings a lot of experience with him from the real boots on the ground world there in D.C., which uh, doesn't, from our discussion, seem to get any better. Uh, it just uh, it thrives on its own malfeasance, if you will. <laughs> You know, I guess if you don't have anything to enrich yourself on, uh, then you just deal with what you got and you get worse, as we say sometimes in the South. But, um, Ted, you know, there's some complexing things. We run on, never run out of things to talk about, it seems, because the government never seems to get it together. But uh, we got some strange double think, if you will, or maybe double talk or um, language that you have to look in the mirror to read properly. Um, inflation reduction is uh, really a, <laughs> a far-fetched idea. Um, we have the border under control. Uh, that's another far-fetched uh, idea. Um, I'm going to run out of fingers and toes here in a minute. Um, yeah, really. Yeah. We talked about the border secure. I heard our vice oh. president say that in uh, Mayorkas. Yes, I, I heard the, the press secretary. I don't know what. Um, water fountain that she gets her nourishment from, but it's not the same one that people <laughs> tell that to El Paso and tell that to, to um, you know, along the Rio Grande and 
as you and I were speaking just before we went on the air, tell it down there to uh, the folks in Key West where uh, let's talk about expedition a minute, because uh, that's a very important part of this. Um, I understand Nicaragua will not take people back. Uh, Some of these countries that they're coming from won't take them back. And so that plays on the hearts of the uh, people, I suppose, who say, gee whiz, wow. My complaint about the border is we just need to have some policies and some uh, appropriate application of order. And you were saying before we went on the air that in your experience in D.C., only about 4% of the people who got across the border ever showed up in court. Is that what you want to say? Yeah. No, that's exactly right. And, and of course, keep in mind, that was probably four years ago. Well, I was down on the border. I went one time. Once was enough. I didn't need to go multiple times because it's a mess. And you were saying we need to have some law and order and policies in place. We have the policies in place. We're just not enforcing them according to the the rule of law. And this falls back on, on the president, Article 2, Section 3, that the president shall faithfully execute the laws of the land. To me, and I think to a lot of Americans, that's an impeachable offense. If you can't do some of the basic things you need to. Um, but when I was down there, we were at a judiciary hearing with the court system down for the border. And we grilled them, and they admitted that less than 4% showed up for their court date. So when they get in, they get processed, they get a court date. Less than 4% of those ever come back. So that means you've got 96% of the people that come in illegally, they're here and they know they're not going to be picked up. And so if, if you look at it from a business standpoint, and this also goes with the drug cartels, and I'll explain that, if, if you can get a success of 96% in your business of what you're doing, you're going to keep doing that and try to improve on that. And so people coming illegally said, hey, I got a 96% chance of getting to America even if they catch me and process me, I don't have to show up and I'm good to go. The drug cartel, uh, you know, I think it's 98% of our cocaine comes through our Mexican border. Uh, same with fentanyl and all these other things. Less than 2% of that gets picked up. So again, it's a great successful business model. If you want to bring drugs into the United States, come through the southern border. 98% of it gets through. But you brought up Key West. I've got a very good acquaintance that got uh, they're in the Coast Guard and they were um, ordered to go down to Key West to help with the migrant influx. And they were down there for a month. They just got back. And I asked them, how many how many migrants did you deal with? Five hundred to a thousand. And they laughed. They said it was over three thousand people that the Coast Guard interdicted. And this is a story that's not being talked about. And I'm going to put in a, uh, a FOIA request from the Custom Border Patrol to find out exactly how many people are coming in and what are their nationalities. And I was told if they're picked up in like Cuban waters, if they're Cubans or Haitians, they go to Cuba. But if they're picked up in our water, if they're Cubans, they go back to Cuba. But if they're Haitians, they come into our country because the government of Haiti, and there's really not a functional government right now, but the people that are in charge says we're not taking anybody that's left our country back. And I'm like, you know, that should not be an option for as much foreign aid as we've given these countries. But it goes back to what you were saying. We've got the laws on the book. It's Congress's duty to hold the administration accountable, and they need to do that. And if not, 
you've heard me say this. We have the power. We, the people, have the power to term limit these son of a guns that aren't abiding by this. And I know we're going to talk about the the crazy omnibus bill is 4,155 pages that nobody's read. And they're going to have to vote on this before Christmas or the government shuts down. And um, again, we need to look at our representatives. If they support this, throw them out. Well, Jason Riley has an article today in the Wall Street Journal or yesterday or soon, uh, right nearabouts here in the last 24 hours or so, suggesting that perhaps what states need to have is their own visa. And um, uh, I hadn't thought about that. And I don't know if you thought about it. But so if you want to come to Florida, you can come. But have you been approved by our immigration um, uh, 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 policies? And uh, uh, that may, you know, be interesting to I don't know if it'll happen, but. Um, you know, it, it really, I don't think the issue is whether or not you can come to the country and be an immigrant, because a lot of them, you know, work incredibly diff- hard and fill a labor need. But it's the unaccounted for um, person that comes along with it, irresponsible, unaccounted for person that uh, assimilates right into our culture and costs us enormous uh, amount of uh, all sorts of um, uh, expense uh, and uh, Maybe that would help. Maybe, okay, hey, you can get a visa real easy to California. Although California is complaining now. Even Newsom, as I understand it, Ted, is complaining. We got too many homeless on the street. We can't deal with this. Uh, what are we going to do about it? Even some Democrat governors are, and, and mayors are complaining about it. Sure, because they see the problem, but yet the media is protecting this president, this vice president, and this policy And, you know, you've heard me talk a lot about this. This goes back to the Obama administration of fundamentally transforming America. And this ties into that article that Victor David Hansen wrote about three weeks ago. If you wanted to destroy America, what would you do? And what you see going on in America today is exactly what you would do to destroy it. And their idea is the Obamanites, they want to transform America into this socialist utopia And if you want to see where America will be, if we continue down this path and we're right there at the precipice of changing, um, look at Venezuela. That is their utopian uh, society. And I don't think American people, number one, the ones that realize that they don't want it. I don't want it. You don't want it. And I think the majority of your listeners don't want it. But the people that are out there going to work, home to work, work to home, home to work, work to home, and then they turn on the football game on Saturday and they don't engage they're getting ready to have the rug pulled out under them, and they're going to walk around and say, how did that happen? It's because you didn't pay attention. Well, it um, doesn't seem to be <clears> – talk <throat> about Title 42 for a moment. We both know what Title 42 was used right. for by Trump. It was used to um, secure the border a little more than it was, and it was under the guise of COVID. And I'm, right. I'm, I think there was something to that, by the way. And now the, uh, the air, uh, irony is – um, Biden wants Title 42 done away with, but also the left is beginning to talk about bringing out the masks again and uh, health uh, standards are beginning to break down in these big cities again. And yet where do these people go? They go to the big cities and crash them, end up living on the streets or uh, just heard before we went on the air that there are a couple of schools in Texas that are going to be used to put these people that haven't been used for education. There's a whole story there, I'm sure. Uh, but um, that's one of the things that that really also stands out in this drama, if you will, this endless drama. Well, I can't figure out why Biden doesn't confront this issue. Other than the obvious, 
conjecture that this is just doing uh, being done to enlarge the base. Uh, I'm not so sure about that. I've never drilled down in it, but a lot of these people for their, on their behalf are coming from pretty religious countries are sort of, I've been looking at the, on the positive side, Ted, you've been seeing mothers and fathers holding children at the border. I mean, these are families coming in many instances. If we could just parse that out and collect that and identify it and reward it, that's to me the thing that needs to be done because some of these people are not going to go for Biden. I'm, I got news for him. <laughs> you would like to think that. And granted, there are some legitimate families that come over here with their children. But keep in mind, there is a legal process for people to apply for asylum if they um, feel like their, their life is in threat in their home country. There is a legal process for people to come in on work visas. And what we have is we have a, an invasion at our southern border. But as I pointed out about Key West, we have an invasion in other borders that's not being talked about. And I've heard that our northern border between the United States and Canada is just as porous and there's uh, um, uh, more nefarious type of people coming across there. And again, they're coming in on check. The focus is on, on the southern uh, southwest border, but this is uh, a lot different. And understand this, and I know you've talked about this before, nobody comes across the southern border. Very few escape the cartels. This is a multi-billion dollar business to gain access to the border you have to pay a cartel member. And Lloyd, our ward, we sat with some of these people and we talked with the migrants. How much did you pay to come in? It was $2,500. I think the average is about 5,000. And if you're a parent or if you had a child with you, it costs less because you could move through the system a lot quicker because of the, uh, the preference they gave to the children with the family. And the, the truth about that is there was 30% of those children that came in with an adult when they did DNA testing, they weren't related to that child. So there's a lot of fraud in there. And again, this goes back to the criminal uh, part and their, their sex trafficking uh, or human trafficking, these children, we know that as a fact. Um, and so if we enforce the laws on the book and president Trump had done this properly, by putting the pressure on Mexico and keep in mind that the, the triangle countries, uh, Honduras, Guatemala, El Salvador, and then you can throw in Mexico, uh, Panama, Colombia, Panama is not that big of an issue, but Venezuela, all these people coming in here, um, president Trump put pressure on the government of Mexico to slow it down or stop it. And we gave them money for that. But all those countries I just mentioned, we give the American people give billions of dollars in foreign aid to assist those countries in economic development. And then I hear Kamala Harris saying, well, we don't do enough to solve the problems down there. No, ma'am, we do plenty down there. We're just not enforcing what we're doing. And we're, we're not um, threatening to take that money away if they don't do what they're supposed to do. Um, you know, and and it's, it's a broken system. And I hope this new Congress, regardless who the speaker is, I hope the adults come to the table and says, this is BS. We are not going to put up with this. If you want to come into this country, do it the proper way. And we'll bet you, you know, assimilate and become Americans, period. If Congress passed some sort of... I don't know why that's such a hard concept for people to grasp. If Congress did manage to get it together long enough to get something out of it, 
could it get through the Senate and on up to the president's desk? That's another challenge. Well, that, that calls for leadership. And again, yeah. you know, Marco Rubio came out with the Gang Eight when I first went in there, uh, and that was a terrible bill. It was a great bill if you were here illegally. And luckily, that bill got thrown out. Um, you know, my hopes is that Rick Scott will become the majority or the minority leader in the Senate, and uh, they'll have a different speaker than Kevin McCarthy. There was a great article, um, my, Carolyn sent it to me, my wife, uh, I think it was from the Washington Examiner, about Kevin McCarthy and um, just a background on him. And I think it would behoove everybody to read that and let your representative know that once you read this, I don't think you'll want them to support Kevin McCarthy. And uh, we're at a we're at a tipping point in this country um, for, for a constitutional republic versus authoritarian rule that we've seen probably th pretty much throughout all of the human history. And um, I, I mentioned that book I, I just finished. It's the Miracle of Freedom, Freedom, the seven tipping points that saved the world. And there's been over 100, 100 billion people that have lived in the, in the, on the world, on the face of the planet. Less than four and a half percent of those people have ever experienced freedom like we have. And it pretty much started with uh, the Western culture, the Judeo-Christian principles that were brought over to this country that we've spread to uh, several other countries. But it's eroding around the world. Well, all you have to do is look at the Taliban today. It's come out pretty clearly that they won't let women go to become educated. Yeah. You want to see a sharp contrast. Uh, imagine that. But <laughs> there's your little buddy. <laughs> let, me, let me mute him. Sorry for your listeners and you. <laughs> let me, let me. He's just saying hello. There <laughs> you I got blocked here. That's <laughs> okay. Good. He might have said something. No, I was talking some one time to. I was talking one time to a guest from from uh, uh, I don't know D.C. or New York or somewhere, and the cat jumped on his shoulder. So I've seen it pretty much all. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, we're talking with Ted Yoho, who uh, uh, as um, we've been talking about the immigration policies or the lack thereof. Let's, let's delve into a little bit more that you know, probably more than anybody I know about it, uh, this McCarthy, uh, Senator, uh, the Speaker of the House deal. Uh, what are the pros and cons? What do you really, you know, what's going on there? Most of us are kind of too far from the game to know what's going on in the huddle, you know? Well, Kevin's one of those guys that's got longevity up there. He came in and um, in the late 90s, I think, or mid-90s. By the way, we got a listener who says their dog heard your – or your, their cat hurt your dog, okay? <laughs> well, I apologize for that, and he is harmless. He, he, he little, little. Um, but Kevin, I like Kevin. I mean, Kevin's one of those, he, he's very personable, but he's not a person I would want as leader. He's not a person I trust, and I can go into story after story. And he had some um, um, things that would disqualify him for a speaker as happened to Bob Livingston that was a speaker for a day because of some uh, personal indiscretions that he had. And uh, I think my neighbors got their lawn guy right next door to me. I hope you don't hear that. <laughs> no. um, and so, you know, you look at what Kevin has done. He's raised a lot of money. Uh, my argument with that is the title attracts the money. 
not so much the person. I mean, they can have a little bit of a uh, bump in there, but people are going to support the position because they want favors from that position. And I think that's a very dangerous thing. But if you look at Kevin, he's never chaired a committee. He's never put forth any significant legislation. And so he has just been a political operative. And, uh, you know, he's very duplicitous in my experience. He's, he's gone after Republican members and uh, used the money to get those people out of Congress. And I can give you a, a list of people he's done that to. And um, he's just not the person that invokes trust in the members of Congress. And I know our representative now is in his camp. Um, and I, I would think she would know better because she was there for my eight years. Um, and I just think that they ought to have an honest discussion about this. I don't know if you saw that article. It was in the Wall Street Journal, I believe. Um, and I meant to send you my rebuttal to Carl Rove on Kevin McCarthy and how Andy Biggs has no right of challenging Kevin McCarthy. We can talk more about that. I don't want to take up your time. Well, no, that's fine. That's a very interesting. People want to know how the sausage is made, if you will. Um, we've just got somebody who um, wants to know who would you, let me see, who would you recommend for speaker? <laughs> I told them they could renominate me. I, I did have a plan. But um, Andy Biggs is somebody that could carry this forward. Uh, I, I've heard the name Tom Cole floated out there, who is from Oklahoma. The thing with Tom, he's very knowledgeable. He's got uh, institutional knowledge. But he's also part of the establishment. And I don't know if it would be much different. The person that I would like to see is somebody – that puts forth an agenda and focuses on the 12 appropriation bills and then works at border security, works at fixing our broken educational system, works at the debt because we're at a point where our debt is unsustainable, get wokeism out of government. Um, And that person could be Andy Biggs. I've heard Tom Cole, like I said, Jim Jordan, I've heard people talk about. And it's interesting, I was talking to somebody from California, and they said who they would really like is Thomas Massey out of Kentucky. Now, Thomas, is he came in with me, and he's a libertarian, and he focuses on the Constitution. And it may be somebody like that, but you need somebody that can form a coalition between the different factions in there. And personally, if it was me, I would build a faction within the Democratic Party, not the Progressive Party, but the Democratic Party that we can look at border security, like Henry Cuellar Cuellar out of Texas, who is, he's one that's really railing against the immigration. He said, we've got to do something. So there's people you could work with on the other side that puts forth that policy. The importance of that, if it's bipartisan and you can do it bicameral, that policy is going to stay for a long, long time. And that's what America needs is that stability. Well, what has been involved, um, let's delve into this a little bit more. I've been involved with uh, Senate memberships and um, leaders of organizations where, you know, you're elected. And then uh, um, how does the election process work? You talk about building coalitions. I know one always does that to get the votes. If you want to be the uh, chair of the Republican Party or whatever, you go find the, 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 you know, the greatest number of people you can get on your team. Um, 
All I hear, though, and this might be, I'm so suspicious of the public media, is McCarthy, McCarthy, McCarthy. So that brand gets put in our mind out here in a naive land. Um, just, just for starters, how would you overcome that? What would seem like to me you'd have to impress upon people down here in the hinterland that, hey, we got another choice. Is there you got any suggestions for that? I'm not asking yeah. you to engineer yeah, this. I really- but- I, they should have. They should have had a plan in place now, and it's not too late to put one in place. Uh, the, the election will be that first week of January. I think it's January second, third, or fourth. Um, you know, other people that come to mind are somebody like Kevin Hearn out of Oklahoma, business guy. Um, um, there are several other people like Kevin. Uh, he's going to be the chairman of the Republican Study Committee. He's just a very level-headed guy, very serious, very smart, and. To build that coalition, if you start out and ask your members, what do you want to accomplish besides the 12 appropriations bills, it's going to come down to about five things, border, national security, um, uh, countering China, um, things like that, education, get wokeism out of the military and out of our schools, and then have health care, and then have people line up who wants to work on these policies. Let your members bring that out. And they don't do that. That's what we call bottom-up legislation because now the members have a vested interest in getting that passed. So they're going to work together collectively as a team. Whereas in Congress now, it comes down from the top. And they said, this is your bill. It's just like this 4,155-page bill that they're going to um, browbeat members saying, well, if you don't vote for this, military is not going to get paid. The COLA increases aren't going to go. Food stamps are going to be cut. You know, it's just all that garbage that they do. And they come out with these garbage bills because they, they didn't do their job nine months ago. Um, and the way that the process works is in November, after the general election, the the two parties caucus together. They, they meet, and they're going to pick their next leaders. And the, the one I was in, I was sitting right across from John Boehner, and I voted against him. Uh, there are three of us that voted against them. And um, 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 even though he won that that round, when I ran against him that next Congress, I had so many Republicans ticked off at me because they said he won the caucus vote. It was unanimous. And I said, no, it wasn't. There were three of us that voted against him. And so that gave us time to start that movement where we drafted Dan Webster and um, you know, it can be done uh, and it can be done without disrupting the majority that the Republicans have, even as weak as it is. But it's something that needs to be done now. And there's a um, um, time to get it out to their constituents and say, we want you to support this person. Now, is it possible, I've heard it is, uh, that you could have a Democrat speaker of the House, even though you control the House as Republicans? Sure. I mean, they could throw out a name out there and... Um, um, you know, say Michelle Obama or Barack Obama, all the Democrats are going to vote for him. And you're going to get a lot of moderate Republicans that would probably, you would have enough of them to support that. Um, somebody very popular like that. Uh, I don't think it's ever happened. I don't think it will happen, but it is possible. Amazing. Um, uh, <laughs> amazing. Well, that certainly is interesting and it's a tangled web we weave. Um, it's, I'm listening to you talk about it. I, I have reservations because of the magic word that has to be yeah. leadership. And that's what is so 
rare. I, I, I don't find true states. I certainly don't find statesmanship. Uh, maybe no. you got some friends that are statesmen, but we don't build them anymore. And I have a, a notion that they came from the soil. Um, um, the statesmen I knew came from, if you will, the soil. They were agrarians. They were, they were uh, uh, some in cases, farmers or uh, some people who uh, worked, if you will, within the confines of nature and had respect for and had humility and understood how the how things have to season and seep and all that business. And now we've got all these, what I call hothouse plants. I mean, these people who grown in these artificial environments uh, like greenhouses, they're, they're not real tomatoes. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> or they are tomatoes and not tomatoes. <laughs> yeah. They're, to- they're not tomatoes. So, and that's all I see, you know, the AOCs who, tended bar and come from a place where a tree doesn't grow, so to speak. You know, there was a book once called A Tree Grows in Brooklyn. <laughs> a tree, just a tree. <laughs> yeah, they think it's a Christmas tree and it comes once a year and then goes away. Um, <laughs> you know, that idea of agrarian, we're coming from the soil, that is so true. And when you had hair, there was a lot of people like that. Yeah. But today, that same thing can happen, and it doesn't have to be from the agrarian society, but it's coming from where you, you build your, you put forth effort, you do work, and you do the things that are right, and you raise yourself up, and you succeed in America, because now you have that knowledge and wisdom from going from being broke, busted, and disgusted to achieving, so you value those things that made this country great. And those are the people that should be elected. And so those people run, but they're not being elected because yeah. maybe it not be the, the YouTube sensation or the Twitter sensation. Yeah. Yeah. And so many of these politicians pay to get a following. I know one real well that paid a bunch of money and their platform went from about 18,000 to a hundred thousand. And it was all these Asian names that were followers. So you know, it's it's sophistry. You know, they say, yeah. oh, look at how popular I am. But it was all bought and paid for. It's a it's an ad campaign. And the only reason they do that is for self-promotion uh, uh, and, um, and uh, you know, things like that. And so, as you said, those are they're not statesmen. They're politicians. And I haven't seen a statesman for a long time. But it's uh, I, I'm, I'm fortunate to have known some. Um, uh, just well, you look you- at Rand Paul. Rand Paul, I mean, he's a statesman, but you look at how the media treats him and they try to bash him down, but his district loves him and they keep sending him back. Thomas yeah. Massey is a statesman. Um, Tom Rice was a statesman, but he voted against Trump and he got run out of office. <laughs> big. And, you know, the interesting thing about him, he's a good friend of mine. He, um, he paid his dues, overpaid his dues to the Republican Party. And they supported his opponent. And you're talking about these people running. Um, Calvin Wimbish is a colonel who ran for um, the retiring seat for Stephanie Murphy. And a young 25-year-old Uber driver and bartender won (laughs) in Florida, 25 years old. Now, what life experiences does he has as an Uber driver and a bartender? And I'm not just—I'm not discounting those as yeah. professionals. And he goes up to Washington, and he doesn't qualify for an apartment because he doesn't have any credit. 
So this kid, <laughs> this kid is going to be making voting decisions for this country. And oh boy. you got to think about the people that voted for him to put him in place over an African-American colonel who has served this nation honorably. And, uh, you know, when you have people like that that are getting voted over people like this other guy, America's in trouble. It's, 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 uh, it's upside down, man. Talking with Ted Yoho here. We'll be right back on the Ward Scott file. It's going to break for sponsors in the weather. And be right back. I'm watching the chat line. You got any issues or questions? I'll take them and look at them. I'm looking at them right now. I'll uh, be right back on the Ward Scott Files. Although the owner of Lewis Oil Company maintains she is 29, Lewis Oil turns 60 years old in June. Chevron would like to recognize the North Florida second-generation family-owned business, celebrating its growth and staying power. Lewis Oil Company maintains significant on-hand supplies, strategically located fuel depots, a delivery fleet, on-site service, fuel card locks, and convenience stores. Lewis Oil Company understands its responsibility in the local economy by providing service and delivery on on demand and in crisis. As a first responder for 18 Florida counties and the southeast from Texas to Virginia, we are proud of this rare accomplishment. Lewis Oil delivers. This is Ward Scott, and I want to thank all our sponsors who keep the show going and pay the bills. The Ward Scott Files premium sponsors are Crime Prevention Security Systems, large enough to serve you, small enough to care. Melvin Law, the only official injury partner of the Florida Gators. The Ward Scott Files Gold sponsors are Lewis Oil Company, Shoot GTR, On the Spot Dry Cleaners, RR Construction, and Style Cuts. If you are interested in promoting your business on the show, you can visit our website, www.wardscottfiles.com and click on the Advertise Here banner on the right side of the page or call my friend Freddie at 352-284-3733. Again, thank you to all the great businesses that support the Ward Scott Files. And remember, if you like the show, thank our sponsors and support the businesses that support us. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. May God have mercy on your soul. Or that very much surprises me that you've never been tased. You can't handle the truth! All these poop. Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! Now for the weather brought to you by Lewis Oil. Welcome back to Ward Scott Files here on uh, this uh, still warm but getting ready to really be chilly Wednesday right towards the end here before Christmas. I swear, on Christmas, get ready. You're going to have a, well, maybe even a snowy Christmas where we are. We've thought about it. We've speculated on it. Right now, however, outside the Warthog Command Center, it's about 50 degrees, but it's not going to warm up much. And we are getting ready to face this dramatic flash freeze uh, that's going to be coming in. You know, it's interesting that the Farmer's Almanac, 
uh, and I consulted that today, says that this will be an unusually harsh, cold winter throughout the United States. And in Florida, it would be colder than normal and wetter than normal. I'll be darned if that darn almanac, how do it know? I mean, it is amazing. I just sort of consulted it because a very good friend of mine who uh, donated one to the Words God Files um, so that we might consult it once in a while on the weather. I looked at it today and it is right on. It has got the conditions that we're getting ready to face uh, pretty much uh, described. And it has been uh, noticed that there, this widespread of, uh, outbreak of Arctic air is uh, going to affect the entire continental USA. It's going to dip way down here and capture our chilly uh, lives soon with down in the 20s. So uh, we'll try to get through it. It's two or three days here, but it's enough to disrupt our normal pattern of life, uh, pipes and all that. And in our case, taking care of the livestock, making sure that they can endure it. But by golly, they've got it easy here compared to Colorado and places like that where those um, cattle just simply get covered up, if you will. Uh, you would never believe it if you saw them, how hard it is on them. And we had a few years ago, a whole 50,000 or so perish out in uh, that area. Although the buffalo uh, been in the uh, uh, Yellowstone on a snowmobile when it's been 20 below. And those buffalo are just as hardy as can be, not in the least bit affected by that kind of weather. In fact, they seem to enjoy it. But we did have, a, uh, as you may have heard already, an earthquake in California, pretty disruptive to those who experienced it and uh, not the most pleasant experience to have. Uh, it really tears up roads, as you know, homes, a whole bit. So that's what we're getting ready for here um, in, in our country here in the Piney Woods of North Central Florida. Uh, we've got Ted Yoho as our co-host today. He's uh, taking a couple of phone calls right now, and I'm, 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 I'm sure he'll be back in a minute. Uh, meanwhile, uh, he's back on. I hear him back on now, so we'll split the screen and back he's here. Uh, Ted, uh, welcome back. And um, sure. I'm sure that um, you're um, um, interested as the rest of us what proceeds uh, Let's, let's turn over to the so-called January 6th findings. You know, um, to me, this is another attempt to continue to drive the stake into the popular movement, which Trump represents. It is, you know, it, to me, that's what it's all, the drama in this largest uh, stage is about. Uh, the seasoned uh, deep state of uh, professional politician uh, doesn't champion any popular movements. And we haven't had any popular movements. Really, and I think back on it, and I've been around for a while, Ted, probably overstayed my welcome. Um, I don't remember a popular movement electing a president. Um, and I go back, my man, to Eisenhower and some of Truman. Um, I was born with Roosevelt, but I don't remember it. I remember the people in the family talking about it, and uh, but I don't remember um, a popular uprising, if you will. You know, Nixon worked long and hard professionally to become the president. Um, even Kennedy was a senator. He was in the, in the queue, so to speak, and uh, in the system. Um, 
can you think of it? Certainly Lyndon Johnson was a veteran of the system. The Bushes. Uh, this is one way to interpret this. And I was going over the timeline yesterday with, uh, with my audience. As we said before we went on the air, the espionage against uh, uh, Trump actually took started, according to the timeline in the New York Times, on August 15, 2016, when uh, Peter Strzok and FBI attorney Lisa Page met with Andrew McCabe, and they started talking about having an insurance policy in place should Trump win. So the real coup, it can be argued, took place against Trump, not Trump against the federal government. Um, I don't know if we can say that without having to beep ourselves, but so what? So be it. This is a conversation we need to have. If if you can't say that, we don't have freedom of speech, and we're seeing that being eroded. But I I think that the coup started the day on... Donald Trump and Melania Trump came down the escalators at Trump Towers in New York. That's the day the coup started. And it continued, as you brought up uh, Peter Strzok and Lisa Page, you know, the insurance policy. There is so much dirt out there that's going to make a great Hollywood movie. Um, Hopefully they'll get it right to where the coup started because they did not want that. And when you and I talked about James Clapper and John Brenner earlier they are the deep state that didn't want him there. You think of the generals that came out and the admirals, there was over a hundred of them put out an ad that said Trump is unfit to be the president before he got elected. Um, And then the 17 intelligence agencies came out after he got elected, right after he got elected and sworn in, the 17 intelligence agencies all said there was collusion between Russia and the Trump campaign. And then you move fast forward to what's happened on January, well, uh, the 2020 election. Um, I, well, nobody's going to convince me that uh, the guy in the White House won this fair and square. And then the January 6th re, uh, um, committee, they just came out, and you and I talked about this earlier. The House referral cites laws against insurrection, and this is the justification for referring this to the Department of Justice, says the House referral cites laws against insurrection, insurrection, obstruction of an official proceedings, conspiracy, I want people to listen to this one, conspiracy to defraud the United States, and conspiracy to make false statements to the government. So this is their basis for referring this to the Justice Department. So if that's our standard, Let's take that standard and go back to Peter Strzok and Lisa Page. Let's use that standard against Adam Schiff when he um, said that he had irrefutable evidence there was um, collusion between Russia and the Trump campaign, but yet Robert Mueller came out and said there was no collusion. So doesn't um, Adam Schiff fall into these same things and he should be referred to the Justice Department? You know, um, there's so much... Just, I'm going to say sophistry in place of BS. <laughs> <laughs> that goes on in Washington, you know, and the Democrats are great at saying, oh, look how bad they are when they're doing the same thing over here, but they want the attention on the other people. And they do this over and over again. And uh, the American people are tired of this. Huh? And I know we're going to go into this new Congress and they're going to do a lot of oversight. And I think 
that's a waste of time if they don't carry it through and get somebody arrested through the uh, judiciary department. And if not, we just need to focus and start fixing our problems, our border, our debt, the wokeism and military and our schools. And, you know, the list can go on and uh, focusing on foreign policy that will protect Taiwan and uh, put pressure on China, but not unilaterally through America, a coalition of other countries that feel the same way. That's what they should be focusing on. Just to just to blow this a little up a little closer on the screen. Uh, August 12, 2019 was the whistleblower, so-called whistleblower, Ted. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that filed a complaint about a phone call and an uh, anonymous person. I thought, you know, you had a right to confront your accusers, but uh, <laughs> that apparently isn't the case for uh, Trump anyway. And, and so this becomes uh, something that uh, Adam Schiff runs up the flagpole and uh, – Claims it's uh, he's got the identity of the whistleblower and all this, but it turns out that uh, um, this was an alleged whistleblower, maybe even not a whistleblower. And in shift had conspired with whomever it was he never disclosed, and this and that one another. But on the basis of this, Pelosi announces an impeachment inquiry. So <laughs> that's now that's I got to tell you, my man, that's from Cheryl Atkinson, um, the investigative journalist. <laughs> For the New York Times. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. boy. Oh, boy. You know, we can laugh at that, but it, it's really sad the way this has happened to our country. And, uh, you know, George Washington had a great quote, and I sent it to Jim Jordan and those guys when they were arguing this on the House floor. He said, when a nation has parties, they will so divide into the point where one party will fill the need to hold the other party accountable, even if they're false allegations, and impeach a sitting president uh, when there, there is no basis for that. And um, the quote is it's very strong when you consider it was over 200 years ago. They knew what people were going to do in the future, and uh, here we are. I mean, we're doing exactly what they warned us about. Well, we have been covering quite a number of things here um for you, if you're just tuning in uh, with uh, Ted Yoho, our guest on Wednesday, we've covered immigration or the lack thereof, if you will, policy. Uh, we've speculated on whether there'll be any attempt to firm this up and come to grips with it. We have a debate now. The Supreme Court has some um, rule, in case you haven't checked in on this with us, uh, at least give it um, a, a little longer, Title 42. That's Chief Justice Roberts. And, you know, one of the things that we overlook, Ted, that is really sticks in the craw, if you will, of the Democrats is uh, Trump did put some good people on the Supreme Court. Um, My golly. And, you know, that thing has actually got a chance to be uh, a constitutionalist, uh, if you will, uh, and really get a little closer to the words on the document. Is that how you see it? No, I I think. History is going to report very favorable on him. You know, it's funny because when he first got elected, Newt Gingrich was around a lot. And, um, you know, uh, President Trump's ego is pretty large. And he was talking about all the great things he's done. And Newt Gingrich said, Miss President, it'll be over 100 years before somebody writes something positive about you. Is that right? Is that right? He said that, too? It'll be over 100 years before a positive book comes out about you. But when you look at the American Jobs uh, um, uh, Tax Cut and Jobs Act, 
you know, the economy took off. When you look at what he did with the Supreme Court, when you look at what he did with our Israel and the Arab Alliance out there and had that peace accord, the Abraham Accords, um, you look at the pressure he put on China and brought that awareness. You look at the things he did with NATO and had the NATO partnerships put in money. Now they are they they collected over $32 billion, and this was back three years ago, that they went from being behind, now they, they these countries paid in. And he put an emphasis that you're not taking advantage of America anymore. And these are things that he did, but the media uh, circus show out there and the Democrats with this January 6th supposedly bipartisan <laughs> committee, you got Adam Kinzinger, who hated the president, and then you've got Liz Cheney, who is uh, Benedict Arnold. Um, um, and again, she despised him. And um, so that's our bipartisan committee. And this is all supposed to be done in a fair and balanced way. Give me a break. Um, again, we need to hold our representatives and be more engaged with them and direct them on how to vote. Um, and again, I can't stress that enough. We have the power in our hands, but we have to learn how to use it and exercise it. Well, yes, uh, definitely something that uh, I think is um, probably so. It'll be 100 years before the real story is written. It'll be quite a while after I'm gone to the periodic chart in the sky here uh, <laughs> where, where the truth comes out about this government. I, I just don't see it coming out right now. People, if people like yours truly here, who is here in the Piney Woods of North Central Florida is being watched literally every second. Yeah. Every second, Ted. That's um, pretty these, scary. Yeah, by these tech platforms. Um, you know, they're all watching me. Uh, I get notifications uh, from them, and some of them, as you know, take me down and all. And all I'm doing is having a discussion. I'm, I'm, I'm just curious about uh, the culture we're in and whom can you trust and where do you go for relief from uh, – uh, the same sort of uh, same old. Uh, that's all this is. It's just a classroom with guest speakers and and topics and uh, the students, as I call them, the listeners and that. It's their world. They go out and do something with it and make it effective or ineffective or just entertain themselves with it. But um, And on a personal level, it keeps me going. I, I think it's probably the same with you. Um, if you and I didn't have these discussions once in a while, um, you know, we'd be lesser for it, you know, if we didn't have something like this in our lives. And I don't see a, a community forum anymore. Trustworthy, Ted. I, I just, you know, do you, I, I don't see anything in our local community where we can have a, you can't trust, <laughs> I hate to say this, but uh, the women for, what is it called? The women for wise voting or something. They're all <laughs> biased, you know. <laughs> Where do we get a group? <laughs> you know, you can't even uh, get it in the classroom. You can't even get it in the classroom. No, you can't because, and that's again, conquer and divide. That's one of the strategies of Saul Linsky, Marxism, and uh, Lenin is conquer and divide. And uh, um, yeah, we're in a, a very precarious area. If you go back to the Tea Party movement, that was a grassroots movement. And this is what the left thinks they're going to squash is get rid of the Tea Party movement and we can do what we want. Uh, you get a popular president that comes in like Trump. Well, if we get rid of him, we can do what we want. But they forget the underlying cause that created the Tea Party, the underlying cause that elected a Donald Trump against all odds. And, um, you know, it's that angst that the American people feel 
against this form of government that is changing the mores and the norms of what we've had for, you know, since the inception of this country. You know, um, the two genders that we were graced with uh, that God created. Now, I forget what there is. There's 20, 26 or I don't know how many there are, but you only have two chromosomes, XX or an XY. <laughs> it's not that difficult. And, you know, you've got transgenders that are in the uh, HHS that wears a dress and he's got lipstick on and, and <laughs> hair and he wants to be called a woman. But, you know, newsflash, you're not a woman. And I know this is probably going to get you in trouble and you'll probably never have me back. But it's <laughs> truth is true. Come on, guys, uh, ladies, whatever. And if you're that other group, God bless you. I hope you have a great life. And if you can do your job and you work with me, no problem. But if you can't do your job and you get fired, it's not discrimination or, you know, homophobia or whatever that is. <laughs> We've just gotten so far off base. And if you want me to shut up, just tell no, me. No. By the way, Lloyd Bailey has told me it's a league of women voters and he's put the word liberal in as an ad. Oh, yeah. Tell Lloyd that <laughs> because he's very well engaged. But we ought to get back to the 4,155 page $1.7 trillion omnibus bill that our members of Congress are going to vote for. And this is over and above, what was the number? Uh, 4.6 trillion that we've already spent in this Congress. <laughs> oh, man. I don't and know. It's, nobody it's no... will read this bill. Not one person in Congress has read this bill. <laughs> that reminds me, I've got a little funny story to tell. My wife was typing a paper for <laughs> a law student years ago, and the, and the paper had... Madagascar in the Red Sea, and <laughs> for the law student in Britain, and my my wife said to the law student, "I hope you don't mind. I put Madagascar in the Indian Ocean <laughs> where it belongs." And he said, "Oh, it doesn't matter. They those law professors don't read them anyway." <laughs> I said that in when I was in vet school. Uh, my dermatology professor said something. I said. She goes, didn't you read the notes? I said, yeah. I said, that stuff's just written by a bunch of damn dermatologists. <laughs> <laughs> I barely got out of that course, but no, she was really a good lady. Good, yeah. Good I hope you don't mind. I put Madagascar in the Indian Ocean where it Yeah. Instead of the red. <laughs> yeah, it's probably. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it doesn't matter. They don't read it anyway. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. that's the story really of the bill. I mean, how could they possibly read it? I mean, they, they don't have a clue. And, and, and then that allows you, of course, to cram all sorts of stuff in there. Um, I don't know who it was, Breitbart or somebody went and looked at the stuff that Liz Cheney had crammed in there for Wyoming. <laughs> I haven't seen that. Um, <laughs> but one of the things I thought was interesting is the Republicans, um, the Republicans are boasting about a symbolic $275 million cut to the IRS budget. A $275 million cut to a bill that's got $1.7 trillion. <laughs> IRS was authorized for $80 billion. So they took $275 million out of an $80 billion bill. So it's like, it's not even a rounding error. I mean, it's, but they're going to say, well, we cut $275 from the IRS budget. Yeah, it's like, give me a break. Yeah. You didn't do anything. Oh, you got a and couple of viewers. Lock this bill. Um, but, you know, 
the leadership always does this. The, I remember John Boehner said, we're, uh, we're going to pass this bill and uh, we don't want to be here through the holidays. Of course, we were there through Thanksgiving and then <laughs> come up December 16th and he goes, well, we need to pass this so we're not here through the holidays. And they would do a, uh, a CR, continuing resolution, that would go up to December 23rd. And so, I mean, it was, it's such a joke and they do it year after year after year. And I just got a call from somebody and said he's hearing Mike Lee and Rand Paul and I talked about Rand Paul being a statesman. He goes, they're talking about the things they did eight years ago that are still a problem. And they're saying, oh, we're going to fix this. And it's just all a bunch of BS. We have, um, a, we have a viewer who's saying they, they thought Cat Kamek ran on reading every word of the bill. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I ran on that, too. And that was a lie. You know what? <laughs> I, I would vote against a bill like this just on that principle. If I can't read it, we're not going to vote on it. And yeah. we had some of the big bills that we would have my staff, we'd assign them sections and then we'd do a briefing on each section and I could delve into that, but there's no way anybody can read this bill. And if Kat votes for this, you know, my opinion is vote her out. She won't be my <laughs> congressman. She'll be your congressman because we have uh Mike Waltz now, uh, when the new Congress gets sworn in. And if he didn't, if he votes for this, he needs to be thrown out. Well, we got a few minutes left with Ted Yoho. And I just want to turn briefly, quickly here to, uh, we can do a whole show on this, I'm sure, foreign affairs. And that is the a visit, if you will, of the uh, Ukraine, Ukrainian leader. Yeah. Are we just going to keep pumping? I guess we'll just keep pumping money. You know what strikes me? We left all the stuff that Ukraine needs on the on the on the desert floor of Afghanistan, right? I mean, come on. Yeah, let me. <laughs> he's my he's my guard dog. This is long as a cat doesn't jump on your shoulder. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, well, again, going back to this omnibus bill, um, they they have the spending in there for the military, um, which. I forget how much it is, but it's a it's more than the president asked for. So Congress is giving the president of this country uh, forty five billion dollars more uh, for economic aid to Ukraine. Uh, there's forty five billion dollars more in this bill than the president sought. And this is the very president that pulled out of Afghanistan and through the, the council of our military generals like Miley and uh, Lloyd Austin, they told them to leave the equipment over there, but now they're asking for all this mo more money, $858 billion for defense, a 9.7% increase, uh, so that they can um, backfill the dwindling weapon stocks and give military members a 4.6% uh, pay raise. Oh, um, and this is the, the, the things that they put in there. So if you vote against this, the message goes out to the military, the veterans, you voted against the military. And it's a garbage bill. Nobody should vote for this. And if you're a veteran or a person in the military, you should be as, as incensed about this bill as anybody because this is affecting not just you today, but it's affecting the future generations. And at some point, we've got to, to can I say man up? Is that going to offend anybody? Well, uh, to me, that's We've okay. got to man up or person up. No, it's man up. you got to man <laughs> up and just say, we've got to stop this nonsense. And today is the day we stop it. Well, we got to go, Ted. But I tell you what, you, got, you pointed out one of the 
incredible paradoxes. If we left all the equipment okay. that we could have given Ukraine on the on the, on the Afghanistan, oh my golly! Well, we got to run. I hope to see you next Wednesday. I'm going to be uh, hoping, wishing you a best Christmas for everything, Thank you. and um, and appreciate you always checking in with us, man. It was a fascinating conversation, and we'll spread it around. So. Uh, I appreciate I, it. Merry Christmas to all your listeners. Uh, hey, God bless. You too, Ted. Right, Warthog Command Center is going to get ready to get ready for the cold weather. Hopefully we'll see you back tomorrow. Warthog Command Center out.